Another weekend of OHL hockey in the books, and that means it's time for another episode of the OHL podcast. Dan Mahar over there. Find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm Mike Farwell. Find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening now. You know that. So please leave us a review, uh, like it, subscribe, tell a friend about it, and send an email anytime ohlpodcast at rogers.com kitchener rangers picked up a big win to close out the weekend on 80s day at the memorial auditorium dan we have to talk about the rangers right now playing below what virtually the entire ohl community expected but before we get into that because it was 80s day and a lot of people were reminiscing about the great decade that it was not just for the franchise on the ice but there was a lot of talk about Cooperalls. I had to bring it up with you on this podcast. I am so glad those things are in the scrap bin where they belong. But your thoughts on the Cooperall era? Well, I, I can say I can speak to it, not just from the aesthetic end, but from the functional end, because I had to wear those those stupid things for a year terrible. or two. Just terrible. Like, I, I, I don't know who, who thought those were a good idea. Classic look now when you go back and want to do these retro days for sure. But uh, but yeah, just not a practical piece of fabric. <laughs> and and the fact that they actually made inroads into the National Hockey League for that brief period of time. Again, it's fun to look back now, but we should look back at that as a mistake to never be repeated. Yeah, yeah. And when we saw the retro day, the Philadelphia Flyers did the other day where they wore them for warmups and that team might as well wear jeans on the ice right now for all I care. But <laughs> but yeah, they if you want to throw them for a team like Philadelphia, go go have at it. Just stay away from the teams I actually care about winning. So all right, let's talk about the fact that the decade of the eighties was celebrated in Kitchener. On the same day, the team got a much-needed win, 8-4 over the Erie Otters. It snaps a three-game losing skid. But I think we can look at bigger picture expectations in the city of Kitchener and then drill it down into, of course, the expectations coming into this year, which are, so far, not being met. But when you look back at the 80s, and I argued this on my post-game show after the Rangers game on Sunday, I think that's where the junior hockey fandom in this city where both you and I are sitting as we record this podcast was cemented. The the franchise comes along in 1963, cut through the seventies. And then the second full decade that the team was around 81, 82 and 84 Memorial cup appearances with an OHL championship in 81 and 82, a Memorial cup championship in 82, 84, they lose the final, but as hosts, they play. And then I'm counting that 89, 90 season i know the cup was technically to start the 90s the decade of the 90s but the rangers are there again in the ohl final that they lose in seven games and then of course that thrilling memorial cup that everybody loves ian fraser our guest on the podcast last week captain of that oshawa generals team that won it but i think that decade really cemented the fandom for junior hockey in the city of kitchener well, and how could it not? You look at the names in the rafters, and you know Scott Stevens, Al McInnes, Brian Bellows. You go, the list goes on and on. Uh, '80s day on the weekend, we had Jeff Noble dropping the ceremonial face-off, and you, you have some of these names that didn't go on to long distinguished NHL careers that get forgotten. And what a player, though, and what a player uh, a lot of those guys were. You know, look at the Ron Goodalls and the. You, you, 
the list goes on and on. The eighties was such a, a great decade for junior hockey in general, the OHL in general, but, but in the auditorium, it just, you're right. It cemented that fan base for, for future generations that many of whom are still going. Well, and that's exactly it. And that's exactly why I think it's as frustrating as it is today when you look back at this century so far, and you can go to 2003, there's the last Memorial Cup for the Kitchener Rangers, and then 2008, as hosts, they're in, they go in the front door, they win an OHL championship. And since 2008, crickets. So it's 15 years, the end of this season, since anything has happened. And if you look at junior hockey, I think the model, at least currently, I mean, Look, we can talk about the London Knights who seem to be perennially successful. Couple of Memorial Cups this century, lots of OHL finals, OHL championships, not always the Memorial Cup championships, but again, perennial success. The Windsor Spitfires, even though they weren't winning playoff rounds, were winning Memorial Cups, three of them in a decade. I think the most recent and best example is the Hamilton Bulldogs. In 2018, they win an Ontario Hockey League championship and Four years later, in 2022, they're winning another OHL championship. Anybody that follows this game knows that it's cyclical. And I think if your team has the resources and it's doing it well, every four to five years, your team should be in a position where it is at least competitive. Obviously, Hamilton had the ultimate prize winning those two OHL championships. But at minimum, I think you should be making deep runs every four or five years. And I don't think it's unfair for fans to expect that. Oh, that's well said. My, I, I think when you look at the recipe for for competing, you need proper scouting, bringing the right assets. Then obviously, is the development component. These players all should be taking significant steps forward every year and over the course of each season. There's the coaching element. There's there's all these different components that go into succeeding, and some of those teams that you just acknowledged have that recipe. You see it year over year. Uh, depends they can bring in whomever they want there's always that trajectory that you can witness and you can see the team on the upswing in the cycle there's a plan and i think when you referenced uh where the kitchen rangers are at right now i think just somewhere in the last few years that formula has been lost a little there's not the same identity throughout the lineup uh lacking some grit and sandpaper lacking some speed they've kind of lost some of that identity that certain players on the team take on um and be wise for teams like Kitchener to get back to it because the blueprint is there. It's just kind of figuring out how to put those pieces in place. Obviously in my role as the play-by-play voice of the Rangers and the host of that post game show, I mentioned a moment ago, I hear an awful lot from fans. If not on the air, I get all kinds of emails or messages via Twitter, et cetera. So I understand the frustration right now. And again, based on what we just talked about, It makes sense because this is an organization that certainly has resources. This is an organization that basically created the foundation for this kind of rabid fan base. We just talked about those 1980s teams and earlier this century under Pete DeBoer, Steve Spott, et cetera. So the expectation was built in. But across the Ontario Hockey League, coming into this season, the Kitchener Rangers were seen by everyone. I did not hear one person say the Kitchener Rangers weren't going to be a contender. Nobody said flat out Memorial Cup champion, but this was a roster that was returning most of its players and it was going to be a competitive roster that come playoff time was in contention for a championship. Across the board, that's what you heard. So obviously, again, we referenced the big win on Sunday for the Kitchener Rangers to snap a three game skid. 
but the team is still nine and 12 after 21 games, which is well below where people thought it would be. So before I get your thoughts, I'm just going to weigh in on this one particular theme that I've been hearing a lot of from fans, and I'm going to dismiss in its entirety. I don't like, and I will absolutely dispel this notion that the organization doesn't care about winning as long as people are sitting in the seats. Look, in this game, absolutely at this level too, it's a business. You want to put bums in seats and you want to make money. But for the Rangers, I don't understand that argument because there ain't nobody making the money. Like you can you can make that argument with Harold Ballard and the yeah. Leafs in the 1980s, but there's nobody making money with the Kitchener Rangers. It's a community-owned franchise, so I guess it can build a bank account so that it can contribute more to the community. But it just that that argument doesn't hold any water with me whatsoever. And again, while it's a business at this level too, this is high-level hockey in this country. And I defy you to find anyone with any organization, no matter how long it's been between successful seasons or championships, find me anyone in this league across the CHL in an organization that doesn't care about winning. That's nonsense as far as I'm concerned. So I'll just put that out there and try to, as best I can, dispel that myth that's going on out there. No, I'm sure they care about having bums and seats, but they care about winning across the board from the COO on down to the training staff with the Kitchener Rangers. I guarantee it. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's, I think the voice of frustration speaking there, Mike, and you got to, we're, we're still in Southwestern Ontario. And even though I'm not, there's an awful lot of Leaf fans here and that Ballard reference is valid. That's what they saw in the eighties. Uh, so there was a franchise that didn't really care about winning as long as they were raking in money. hundred percent agree. That's not the case you're seeing in Kitchener. You got a Joe Birch, Mike McKenzie. These guys are com- competitive they want to win they want to entertain the fans it's not it's not that they're failing on that account i think sometimes some of it's insidious over time a little bit of uh comfort i suppose is a good word set sets in you had a franchise that was really successful through the peter DeBoer era uh, put a lot of bums in seats made a lot of money um had a recipe that that one kind of lived off that reputation for a while players wanted to come here fans wanted to see be part of it uh, so a, a bit of a comfort can set in. And I think sometimes this isn't just exclusive to Kitchener, but the one point I would make is sometimes these, these franchises need to challenge themselves, um, step out of your comfort zone, not necessarily surround yourself with people, you know, and people you're familiar with look outside the box, like the Rangers did when they brought in Peter DeBoer, um, that kind of mentality, sometimes to challenge yourself to find the best is what you need to do to take the next step as an organization and get that formula you need. So it's not, it's not that they don't want to win. It's uh, it's sometimes maybe recognizing that maybe things are a little too comfortable. And when that happens, sometimes accountability slips a little and without accountability and too much comfort, you sometimes get these very mediocre, complacent uh, seasons and efforts. And that's, I think what we've seen a little bit in Kitchener lately. Yeah. Maybe you have to shake yourself out of that comfort zone. And, you know, you talk about comfortable and I can't help but think back. I've been in this league for a while and broadcasting Rangers games since the DeBoer spot era. And I can tell you, you want to talk about comfortable. I would go to the rink for work every night, basically expecting the team to win again, because that's what it did. And that's how automatic it felt, particularly in that 2008 OHL championship Memorial cup host season. 
it was incredible. I think it was 53. If I'm not, I'm going off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure it was a 53 win season under Pete DeBoer his last year in the OHL, but honest to goodness, there were multiple double digit winning streaks that year. And you would just, you would go to work every day and you figure, okay, ho-hum, I'm about to broadcast another win for the Kitchener Rangers. It, and it wasn't an arrogance. It was just like, that's what was happening. That's the comfort level that was there at the time. Oh yeah. This team's a winning team. Oh, hundred percent. You could, in the Peter Boro, you guarantee yourself 19 out of 20 games were going to be highly entertaining. And, but it comes back to that concept of accountability for me, where there was an accountability throughout that organization at the time where you didn't take a shift off. You didn't, it wasn't that you couldn't make a mistake. It's junior hockey, but there were certain principles in place about hustle, effort, uh, attention to detail, all that stuff that you commit to for your teammates to do the role that you were given. And that accountability ran up and down the lineup. So if they lost a game or even lost a period, they were mad. There was, there was, <laughs> there was anger in that room. There was, they came out with a lot of jump. And, and usually if you saw a dog of a game, you wanted a ticket for the next game because it was going to be one of the best efforts of the season. And that kind of accountability and commitment to, to winning and competing and bettering yourself uh, was something that was really specific, I guess, to the DeBoer era. And we're really this, Kitchen Rangers organization lived off for a lot of years, but it would be, it's been missed for the, for the last little while, for sure. And I want to be careful about going too far down this road as well. Cause I push back against the fans and I actually had one call my post game show on the weekend. So upset that the Rangers hired Chris Dennis this season, instead of going out and getting Pete DeBoer because he was between NHL gigs at the time. And I had to remind this fellow that I'm pretty sure DeBoer's contract in Dallas was 4 million per and as much money as the Rangers have, they don't have that money. Not to mention the fact Pete DeBoer is now firmly established, long firmly established as an NHL coach. He's not coming back. And I, I think we have to accept, like I understand that the frustration comes from, again, we talked about already many of these fans and probably their kids since the 1980s had their, had their appetite wetted then and thought this is the greatest game in the greatest market. Everything is awesome. And then, you know, you, you have a little bit of a dip in the 90s there, but then the DeBoer and Spot era comes around. So you can see why fans get frustrated maybe more quickly here than in other markets because they have they have seen some really great stretches for this organization. But we have to acknowledge that now and recognize that it's the Mike McKenzie and Chris Dennis era, general manager, head coach, and there is nothing wrong with that with the exception of the team playing below expectations coming into the season. And we've seen now other teams make moves based on expectations not being met. Niagara, we can quibble over whether or not the expectations were even realistic with everything going on. And we've talked about that on previous episodes. Sudbury, both those teams went out and made coaching changes. What I'm looking at, and I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying when things aren't going the way you expect, an organization tends to make changes. I will point just down the road to the city of Guelph from Kitchener and say, when George Burnett traded Sasha Pastajoff to the Sarnia Sting, I thought, okay, who's next? Danny Jokin? Uh, who else are you moving off that roster? Is the white flag being waved? And I don't think I could have been more wrong in that assessment because all the storm done have done literally since that trade is win. Four straight wins, nine points for Max Nemesnikov in those four games, the player that the Storm got from the Sting. But sometimes maybe that's all it takes. That Nemesnikov comes in that Pastajov trade from Sarnia to Guelph, and, and maybe it just sends a message to the other guys in the room. Geez, I guess if 
I want to stay here. I better start playing better. I, I can't imagine it's that simple, but George made a trade and it has completely reversed the fortunes in the Royal City. Yeah, and sometimes that's all it is. A change just needs to be made, a different dynamic in the room, a, diff a little bit of a message to people that maybe weren't quite going as, as well as they needed to go. Uh, I think the be-all and end-all for these teams, though, is you want to see it's junior hockey and you want to see these players improving. You want to see them fixing mistakes and and growing as players and by extension growing as a team and and i think the markets that struggle you don't see that consistently enough and so the guelph storm made that statement and kind of woke some players up and you'll you'll see now if that trajectory returns for some of those players but you look at markets like london where you love them or hate them you see these players take a step every every few weeks uh throughout the season to the point where they're they're in the hunt at the end of every season and other markets that don't have that success have to look at that and say, well, why aren't our players improving to that degree? What are we doing wrong? And if you're not asking yourselves those questions, good luck. You're not going to get the, the promised land. Second hottest team in the Ontario hockey league right now are those London Knights with a four game winning streak, including a win over Oshawa on Sunday. Just one final point on the Rangers and why I think fans get frustrated is because they see a game like they saw on Sunday when the team scores eight and makes it look kind of easy. And I'm going to give special recognition here. Uh, we'll get to our prospects of the week later, but Carson Rakoff draft eligible, even last year when he joined the Rangers, people were projecting him as a potential first rounder. I thought the hat trick aside for Carson Rakoff in the win over Erie on Sunday, he was playing a 200 foot, game and when you see him do that and have the kind of game that he had you're just asking yourself why don't you give me that every night like please this is what this is what the team and an individual player is capable of let's see it shift in shift out period in period out game in game out yeah great great example mike and i've heard a little bit from the nhl scouting community as you see carson rakoff has slid on some of these nhl draft lists that that's the, the word you hear all the time is consistency He's not consistently good. He doesn't consistently show up. And, and this isn't all on the player. I mean, you've got a 17-year-old player here who's who's got a toolbox many would envy, and we see it time and again in Kitchener. It's just grooming them to be able to do that shift in, shift out, because that's what NHL teams are looking for. And and as a fan or, or a broadcaster showing up to the game, you think, what are we seeing tonight? And the really good teams, by and large, you know what you're going to see tonight. The teams that struggle... By and large, you don't know what you're going to see that night. Some nights it's the hat trick, Carson Rakoff. Other nights it's the did even dress. And so I think I think we're trying to see these uh, these teams get to that spot where they can groom these players, uh, bring them along, make those steps where every night they're going concern. If if you haven't got your A game offensively, maybe you're grinding defensively, playing that 200 foot game you talked about, but finding ways to be effective and impactful every night. Okay, let's take a look at the weekend that just passed, just in a high-level way here, Dan, because there were a number of things that stood out to me that made this a bit of a, a weird weekend. For example, the North Bay Battalion dropped back-to-back -back games with losses in Hamilton and Niagara, and, and the Ice Dogs go and put up seven goals on, on a good North Bay team. Oshawa scores a season high. I'm going back. I think that was a Thursday night game, but they score a season high eight to beat Peterborough eight to two. There were a couple of 10 spots put up Hamilton over the Sioux 
Okay. But how about Flint over of all teams, Sarnia and the league's leading scorer in Ty Voigt, a 10 nothing shutout of the Sarnia sting by the Flint Firebirds. And I'm not quite done yet. The Ottawa 67s needed a win on Sunday to erase a three-game losing streak when all of a sudden the 67s looked a little bit mortal losing three in a row. And now, oh, heaven forbid, they're only 19-4 and four on, on the season. But it, it just seemed like a bit of a weird weekend in the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, weird's a good word. And this whole season, as we've referenced before, it's been bizarre. It's it, If you're putting money or making predictions about the OHL this year, you're probably not doing so well. The standings are starting to look a little more like our preseason projections might've, might've suggested, especially in the East, still some anomalies there. Um, but those, those wild games you're referencing the 10 spots and the eight twos. And I think that's just a function. I'm not making excuses for teams, but you see in junior hockey with the packed weekend schedules and fatigue and some, some players missing from lineups. Sometimes you just get those dog games here and there where a team is just a complete no show. And they're good teams and they just end up no showing for, for a night or two. And uh, uh, we referenced those Peter DeBoer Rangers that were so good. I, I remember them top of the standings playing a just desperate, lousy Kingston team on home ice and getting blown up five, one or five, nothing. And it happens in junior hockey. So, but it leads to some bizarre uh, stat sheets the next morning. All right. Real quick on the prediction side, it just makes me think of Francesco Arcuri who scored twice on Sunday, 22 goals to lead the league. Nobody had that on their bingo card this year. Nobody. I No, I, I, I don't think, I don't <laughs> think so. I knew he's a good player. I mean, yes. that whole draft crop, the, that OHL cup year was, was phenomenal. They're littered around the league this year. Uh, and we know uh, Francesco Arcuri is a good hockey player, but 22 goals leading the league of, the nearest competitors, a distant uh, second at, I believe, 18. Yeah, it's it, it. no one had that in the bingo card, but good for him. Uh, it's a team that had a void this year, and he stepped in to fill it, and I believe some uh, some eyes are, are looking his way this year. Yeah, I like to see those little surprises, and again, it's a third of the way through the season, so things can certainly change, but it's been fun to watch, and the fact that this weekend, the gap between him and second place in goal scoring widened because he just keeps doing it. I think it's, it's kind of cool. Speaking of doing it and consistently again, nobody, but nobody had this on the bingo card, a nine game winning streak matching a franchise long for the Saginaw spirit. Are you kidding me right now with that hockey club? Well, that, that, you know, a a lot of cap tips to that team right now. And, and I think, too often when you see a team go on a hot streak like this, you want to dismiss it as, oh, it's it's going to end, or you want to attribute it all to one or two factors like the phenomenal performance from Pavel Minchikov. But I think it's about time we tip the cap to that entire team. There's a lot of team play going on in Saginaw right now. You look at the stat sheet and you won't, aside from, from Minchikov, nothing leaps off the page at you stat-wise. So that tells me you got a lot of players rowing in the same direction. A lot of players chipping in. Different nights, different games. They're all contributing. And how, and how about the head coach, Chris Lazari, who I think had a great track record coming into the OHL and took a team this year that's not supposed to be in the hunt at all. And we're not talking a hot streak to start the season when other teams are still feeling things out. We're almost December now, Mike. I think it's time we start saying, uh, acknowledging what a job he's doing down there. 
Laz is a Sutherland Cup champion, obviously, in the Go J with the Waterloo Siskins back in the day. And I will never forget the interview I had with him pre-season following Saginaw's Western Conference loss to the Guelph Storm the year prior. Saginaw had been up three games to one in the series, and the Storm did to Saginaw like they had been doing to everybody else that playoff and came back from either 3-0 or 3-1 down and beat the Saginaw Spirit that year. But Chris told me in that preseason interview the following year that had it not been for the birth of his second child, it would have been the worst summer of his life. That's how it was still impacting him months later. Yeah, well, that that speaks to that competitive fire. And we we talked about this when we were discussing the Kitchen Rangers a while back, Mike, where that accountability to himself, uh, to his team, to the kids he's grooming, to his ownership, that type of mentality and attitude is what gets you where you are in the standings right now. That that fire to the hatred of losing, that fire to get everyone to the spot that you're you want to be um, drives you. And clearly it's working for him right now. We can't talk about the Saginaw spirit without talking about them being now the fourth team that will be in the running to host the 2024 Memorial Cup. When we last talked about the three teams that had expressed interest, Kingston, Niagara, and Sault Ste. Marie, we mentioned then that you shouldn't be surprised if another team's name comes forward because at this point, it's just the expression of interest to bid. There was still time before the bids were due in January, etc. We thought even at the time the Kitchener Rangers might be in the mix. Obviously not, but the Saginaw Spirit have expressed interest. I will say this just briefly, uh, roster-wise, hands down the best looking team to me. Yeah. I, uh, as soon as I heard their name in the fray, instantly they, sorry to the other three, they instantly became my favorite for a few reasons. Uh, great rank and, and fan support there. Uh, but yeah, that roster, the way it's shaping up, I mean, you, you're probably going to have our friend Pavel playing out in California uh, by the time the Memorial Cup rolls around, but a lot coming up on that, on that roster the name I think on the tip of everyone's tongue is Michael Misa as a showcase for that uh, tournament. And yeah, so I think is that was a very interesting name that jumped into the fray. And if you ever wanted to make a statement that you're worthy of being awarded that Memorial cup, they're doing it on the ice this year. I'm going to, I'm going to take a bit of a fork in the road here on the great rink point. If I was going to be critical of Kingston, which I think is a beautiful barn, but doesn't have the dressing room facilities outside the main room for the fronts, I'm going to let you know that it, it just my, I don't, I mean, no disrespect to the group that there in Saginaw and the fan base, but that's a convention center more than a hockey arena. In my opinion, it's, it's not the best venue, but here's the other thing. And, and we talked about this last week when we talked about uh, mouth guard gate, if you will, and don't underestimate the impact of liability on what, with what's going on around the league. Well, that just goes to show that money talks in the Ontario Hockey League, and I, I guess, obviously, in Major Junior. And and I'm hearing some rumblings, and and they sound pretty well founded. That it's all going to if if Saginaw is potentially awarded the Memorial Cup, there will have to be something done around title sponsorship of said Memorial Cup because the owner, uh, Mr. Garber, in Saginaw is a is a car dealership owner. And if, if I could just let's put it this way, it ain't going to work if it's Kia Canada as the sponsor of the Memorial Cup and it's hosted in Saginaw, Michigan. So we'll see what transpires. But on the strength of roster alone, they look like a really intriguing addition to the mix here. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting uh, intel there, Mike. And yeah, things like that can sink a bit. Who knows? But uh, and yeah, just in, in defense of my comment about the arena, I will just say I I, I like the vantage points in the arena, but it was probably more the concessions and the uh, <laughs> and the friendliness of the fans that really won me over. So so I probably gave them a little. Uh, I was generous. We'll put it that way. Thank you for the opportunity to point that out. I cannot go into that rink without my stomach rumbling because the second you step inside that smell of beer nuts and i know they've got them at the odd and kitchen or two but there's something about the dow where every corner of that arena just i was going to say reeks which would be that would be the wrong word because it's a delicious aroma but uh anyway and it's a, it is it's a great staff and let me tell you about the media room in there you can have all the beer nuts on your side of the game because i am getting fed jets pizza and that's just the beginning in the media room there so Lots of things to like about it. I, I'm not sure it's going to work out with a U.S.-based team, but we shall see. Uh, one more quick thing uh, before we get on to talk about the guy that is still property of the Kingston Frontenacs, I think. But when I mentioned uh, the mouth guards, just for fun, I looked through all of the game sheets from the weekend because, you know, what else would I do for fun? Uh, only five this week, Dan. So that's about an 80 percent drop from a week ago. Five mouth guard misconducts this weekend compared to 22 a weekend before. But but there's a new misconduct that was called not once and not only twice, but three times this weekend. And that was shooting a puck into the stands. Now, I I have to be careful on this because the the infraction was the misconduct issued and it was to uh, Ty York and Barry, Derek Smith in Ottawa, and then Quentin Musty in Sudbury. The game sheet simply says shoot equipment into stands. But I know from talking to the guys in Sudbury that Musty got it for a puck, except it was a foam puck. Hello, Owen Tippett, circa 2017. <laughs> but so if that's that's what the misconduct said on Musty, shoot equipment into stands, it was also the same description on the penalty to York and Smith. So I'm assuming in all three cases, it's a puck or a foam puck out of play, but three times this weekend players got dinged for it. And that's not just a misconduct. That's also a suspension. Yeah. It seems a little crazy going back to that Owen Tippett example when it's a foam puck that you're talking about. Um, so obviously the liabilities maybe get a little out of control in that case, but, but yeah, it's an interesting point too. And I assume that this, all has to happen under the watchful eye of someone. And the reason I say that is I'm not going to narc anyone out, but I did see a player on a team this year in the, or this weekend in the OHL intentionally flip a puck over the end netting during warmups. And I think just seeing if they could actually elevate that much, um, maybe not even thinking they could do it. Maybe we're just trying to hit high up in the net and it actually went over. And uh, so I just wonder if this is, you know, a warm up thing. It, it just has, someone has to see it either way. It's, it's, it's a little bit silly when you start talking foam pucks, but uh, certainly the intent when, you know, years back, there was a, a young girl killed in Columbus by an errant puck. And, and so you can see why it's on, on the radar. Yeah, you absolutely get it. And you don't want players to be reckless at all. The foam puck though, it, it just comes down to the letter of the law. Oh, you get it, right? Because if you let, oh, it's just a foam puck. Well, then the next time it's not a foam puck, but you fired the last thing into the crowd. So it's kind of like the mouth guard thing just a little bit, but I thought it was a, a curiosity to show up on so many game summaries from this weekend. So there you go. 
We'll have All to right. check the, the officials, Mike. See who's officiating that game. Maybe it's just one official that hates foam pucks. Who knows? It's a good point. <laughs> I'm going to do some more digging on this, but just know it happened, and Dan and I are on the case. We're also, like everybody, on the case of uh, Shane Wright, or maybe I was more on the case of the Seattle Kraken. I think it was just last week I said they are mismanaging this guy to the nth degree, now in the AHL for a conditioning stint. I still think we all know what the eventual outcome is with Shane Wright. However, at last check, I've got him four goals in three games in the American Hockey League. Yeah, that's exactly where he's at, Mike. And, and that's starts to be a bit of a sample size. I know it's three games. You can't go over the moon on that sample size. But I had asked the question on our previous pod of what, what are you trading for in the OHL if you trade for Shane Wright? And I think he's answering that question right now. The at least it doesn't appear the lack of activity over the last couple of months has really hurt his game. Uh, and uh, if you watch the highlights of the goals he's scoring, it's got that, that Sidney Crosby release right now. I'm not saying he's Sidney Crosby. We'll slow down there. But what I am saying is he's got that wide base where he gets the shot off, off the front foot and zings at top corner with the goalie barely even reacting. And, and when Shane Wright starts doing those things, you know, the confidence levels come back. Uh, he's got that elite level shot. We just weren't seeing enough of it last year. And it's a really good sign if you're seeing an 18-year-old popping it four times in three games in the AHL, which is a really good league against men. So uh, things looking up for those really good Seattle Kraken, Mike. I didn't think we'd say that. (laughs) Okay. That's a really good point, though. And the same thing I thought of with this performance in the AHL against men. Shane Wright will be playing against, in some cases, guys that are twice his age into their 30s and mid 30s. So I'm going to take this two steps further now because, and I know this is all speculation, but that's why you listen to the pod and you know it. So get off my case. Two steps forward from here. If if this goes according to the way we all think it's going to go, and I highly doubt it's going to go any differently. The next step is him being loaned to Canada for the World Juniors and he'll compete over Christmas. And then, of course, from the World Juniors, where he'll play with some of the best in his age group, he'll come back to the Ontario Hockey League. The Kingston Frontenacs will subsequently trade him for a King's Ransom. But just imagine, based on these early returns in the AHL, how much of an impact Shane Wright is when he comes back to the Ontario Hockey League in and around January the 10th. Well, you got to be a little more excited probably now than you might have been last week, uh, just because there was so much uncertainty. And and we'll also get a much better read on the World Juniors, assuming he does go there, like like we've been speculating. It probably will play a fairly sizable role for Team Canada. I know everyone's intrigued to see Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli there, but don't forget Shane Wright's a year older than him, has a year of experience under his belt there, many times putting on that Canada sweater. So he'll probably be a go-to guy for that team. And uh, I would think that excitement would ramp up over the course of that tournament. And, and as we'll chatter in the back rooms about where he may have already landed before there's any announcement. <laughs> yeah, that's happened before too, right? Players are at the world juniors and everybody's already whispering. Oh yeah. But when he comes back, he's not going to the club. He left to go off to the world juniors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talk about all these things, these kids deal with when they go to the world juniors, well, that's just one more thinking, you know, home is going to be different when you come back new billet family, new everything. So it's, it's, it's a stressful time for these guys, but uh, I expect you're going to see some new addresses uh, in January. All right. Before we wrap things up, we like to leave you with a prospect of the week selection from each of us. This is the draft eligible player, NHL draft eligible for 2023 that we think had the week that is most worth 
talking about. Dansky, I'll start on your side. I don't know if I'm going to have to turn in my Kitchener residency card here to to go for the second time this year with a no, London night. You would at Easton Cowan already. And by the way, though, his pass to spring, who was it on the breakaway on Friday night, though, was next level. Oh, yeah. And, and real development curve there. So I, I, I hate going back to London again so quickly, but I, they've been so good lately. And I think I'd be remiss to ignore Oliver Bonk. Uh, fairly high on the uh, on the scouting circles radar right now, but uh, really seen a progression from him this year. And the, the return of Logan May has taken some of the tougher minutes off him. So he's been able to express his creativity a little more. And um, you saw him put up three assists in his short 10 game stint last year as a rookie and already 17 points on the season. Uh, ramping up as London Knights often do um, to real NHL prospects. So I'm going to hang my head and, and go in green for a, a second time this year with Oliver Bonk. All right. Uh, if you have to turn in your Kitchener residency card, I might have to turn in my card that gives me any credibility whatsoever in the prospect game with my pick this week. And and I say that, I, I want to point out, I've never claimed to be one of the best at, at predicting prospects or evaluating prospects because I, I'm just going to, this is completely in my own self-defense here. I my job forces me to watch the game a little bit differently. I can't watch guys away from the puck. I have to watch the puck all the time. Nonetheless, I like playing this game. I like watching kids develop. And I think I get a decent sense of what's going on where. I say all of this because I think sometimes when you hear about, oh, you know, Farwell and Mahar are going to give us their prospects of the week. We're going to go find an Oliver Bonk or, a, or an Easton Counter or a Bo Akey, which you identified earlier this season already, Dan. And he just got bumped up to an A, by the way, by okay. NHL Central Scouting. But I'm not going anywhere deep into the prospect list. I'm just going to go with a guy that I think, well, that I know is draft eligible next June for the NHL and is right now playing in a way that stands out amongst his peers that are also draft eligible. So hello, Colby Barlow, who is on an eight game point streak right now, a seven game goal streak. He's got 17 points over those eight games, seven assists and 10 count them 10 goals with a seven game goal streak. A lot of people will point to the game about a week ago between Owen sound and Oshawa when Colby Barlow kind of took it as a challenge. Okay. Callum Ritchie and I are the two top-rated prospects for the Ontario Hockey League. I'm taking this on as a personal challenge to outplay Callum Ritchie in a game. And many will tell you that Colby Barlow did just that. He had five shots on goal. He scored. He was a plus one. Callum Ritchie, two shots on goal, no points, minus two on the night. So take it for what it's worth. But Colby Barlow has been on such a tear of late that I think it would be remiss. to. Over I know he's a highly rated prospect, but... He is playing the way a highly rated prospect should. And for my money, Owen Sounds, Colby Barlow is the prospect of the week. Yeah, Mike, you shouldn't apologize for, for going with Barlow, even though he is on the surface. You don't have to scratch, scratch too far below to find his name. But Colby Barlow was outstanding in the U18s. He's been good all year. And if you look at the leading scores in the OHL right now, three, four, five are all Owen Sound attack. And the only name in the top five who is draft eligible is Mr. Colby Barlow. So shouldn't have to apologize for that pick, Mike. Certainly Dale right at the top of the heap. Dale DeGray, too. It's worth noting that Owen Sound leads the Midwest division, although London is starting to come on. But Dale DeGray is kind of pushing that Owen Sound team that he has assembled as the general manager up there in Owen Sound, talking about them just not being there yet, 
maturity wise to, you know, hold off opponents in close games, close things down when they need to, et cetera, maybe believing a little bit of their own press. So DeGray knows what he's got up there right now. And, and he's pushing all the right buttons as much as he can, even in his role as GM. So Mike, as a broadcaster, did that read to you a little bit like I'm going to acquire a veteran stay at home defender, or I'm going to do something here in the next month. Kind of, kind of got that flavor. It might be, it might be Dale has never been shy about pulling triggers on deals for sure. So it's going to be, we're getting to that time of the season, aren't we? As you said earlier on this pod, we're almost into December. Uh, I think after this weekend, I think I counted because this is what you do when you're working in the league. I've got seven games left before Christmas break. And if that's what we're looking at, so the teams will have anywhere from, let's say seven to 10 games before Christmas break world juniors are in there. The trade freeze happens within that time and then world juniors end and you're at the trade deadline. So really you're looking at a few weeks window here for things to really start happening in the Ontario hockey league. Yeah, for sure. And and you're starting to get a little closer to being able to figure out who's going to do what. And when you hear Dale DeGray say, we're not quite there yet and look at them first in their division, (laughs) that reads to me as, yeah, okay. They're, they're a piece or two away from, from making noise this year. So expect, expect some noise there in the next month. All right. Just before we let you go, we like to give you a little tease about what's coming up on Friday with our feature interview on the OHL podcast. And you know, all this excitement around uh, the world juniors that we were just talking about, Dan, and this game in general, uh, it reminds me, and I've, I've heard some kind of pushing back against the excitement around the world juniors because we know where hockey Canada is at. We know there's a, a culture problem. I think that's why you're really going to like the guest that joins us on Friday because he has just put out a book talking about that very thing. And what I like most about this guest is that he's not going to come on and pardon the expression, but well, I won't say I'll say it this way, whiz all over the game and talk about how awful it is. But he's going to acknowledge where the cultural gaps are, how they have impacted him. And that led to his book, but why he still celebrates the game the way that he does. So I think you're going to like the conversation on Friday and it will also, if as if it needed any more, it will cement or no, grow the legend of Brian Kilray. I promise you that. Uh, sounds like it can't miss uh, given the topic. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be tuning in. The next OHL podcast comes out on Friday. That is Dan Mahar on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Send us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. 
Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.